Tuesday, September 8th. Percy donned her maroon vest and tried to shake the feeling that she'd just left her last shift at Shady Pines a mere hour ago. Denise, she stated as she approached the hostess stand. Percy, Denise echoed somberly. Good weekend? Eh, you? Yep. Denise answered with a slow nod as she stared out into her dining room. Sometimes Percy compared their exchanges to those volleyed between captain and first mate. All their attention poured into a scan for signs of mutiny. But mostly, she imagined she and Denise were two famous sketch comics like Bill Murray and John Belushi, who were geniuses at playing it straight while the nonsense around them built to a crescendo. Denise continued, Went go-karting. Go-karting? Percy repeated, her voice cracking as she fell out of character. It was hard to imagine Denise zooming along in a tiny car, grinning and hooting as her hair flew in the wind. Go-karting, Denise confirmed, daring Percy to make light of that rare blip of motorized freedom that was the exact polar opposite of her experience each and every workday. After a few ticks of silence, during which Percy imagined giving Denise a hearty high five, Percy blurted, Oh, there's Lerma waiting for her coffee. Denise squinted. Does she have two plates of cheesecake? Her arteries have got to look like the highways of L.A. after the first zombies attack. On her way to Irma, Adam caught her eye, smiled, and raised his coffee cup. Percy splashed coffee in and around Irma's cup, half-heartedly apologized, and veered Adam's way. He was sitting alone. When he slid a folded piece of paper towards the corner of the table, she just stared at it. There was a slight tremor in his fingers, which stopped when he pushed the note closer and let go. May I have a refill, Percy? It's decaf. After he nodded, she poured, swiped the note, and headed to the front of the house while slipping the paper into her back pocket. Heat glowed behind her jawbone and spread to the top of her head. Ten long minutes later, Denise asked her to refill the salad dressings. As soon as Percy ducked into the kitchen, she unfolded the note. There were two words written as a question in a careful scribe. Widow's Peak? Percy's eyebrows huddled together as she read the words over and over. Was Adam losing it? He was a widower. Did the note mean he was peaking? Or at a peak? If so, what the hell did that mean? Denise popped her head through the kitchen swinging door and called, Irma has an unusual attachment to you, Percy. She says only you know how to pour her creamer. That's so weird. I'll be right there. Hey, wait, Denise? Yep. What's a widow's peak? A what? A widow's peak? The hair thing? What hair thing? Well, a V-shaped hairline. Oh, or do you mean the window-lined architectural feature where from a black-clad widow stares forevermore in despair at having lost her husband, her sole reason for living? She took a step into the kitchen and put a hand on her tipped hip. That's one aspect of the female psyche that I will never subscribe to. Irma, though, if she lost her husband and her royal cream pourer, would be right up in the Shady Pines widow's peak. Shady Pines has a widow's peak? Yeah, I think it's just decorative, though. But architecture is less important than salad dressing and Irma, right? Yeah, right. Sorry. I'm on it. 
At 6.30, as Percy folded her vest and released her hair from its pigtail, she visualized the Shady Pines building once more. There was a small windowed nub on the top of the main building that she'd never paid much attention to. That must be the widow's peak. Unless Denise was right about it being strictly cosmetic, access would be from the top floor. Even though no one had forbidden Percy to venture beyond the dining hall, she felt like a burglar as she slipped into the stairwell and climbed to the residential floors. When she remembered she was a criminal, she felt even more delinquent. At the very top of the stairway, she found a short ladder that led to a trap door in the ceiling. A chain was slung across the ladder like a hipster might wear to connect his wallet to a belt loop. Even though a chain symbolized restricted entry, there was no sign that explicitly said keep out or violators will be prosecuted with four more months of community service. Percy stood in front of this ladder, took a deep breath, looked around for security cameras, and then scrambled up. When she peeked through the trap door, she saw a dim light at the end of a short, dark hallway. As the light got brighter, the smell of the air changed from dusty hallway to cinnamon. She opened the door to find Adam sitting in a folding chair. He was reading a book by the light of a small camping lantern. She announced herself with a tentative, Hello? Oh, Percy. Adam slapped his book shut and put it on the small table next to the lamp. Good evening. How nice to see you. He stood quickly, but with care, and shuffled over to shake her hand. Percy asked, How did you get up here? Adam looked over her shoulder toward the way she'd come, and then back into her eyes. What? Because I'm old? Well, yeah. Adam swung an open arm toward the chairs. When she stepped next to him, he rested his hand lightly on her back to lead her. Oh, ladders like that are second nature to me, Percy. What treehouse does not have a ladder or a set of severely steep stairs? Mine as a kid was pretty treacherous, but I could ascend with my eyes closed and one hand tied behind my back. Nimble as a squirrel, my mom would say. Plus, Adam smirked and tipped his head in the other direction. There's an entrance over there with a proper set of regular stairs. Percy grinned and felt her shoulders relax. Come, Adam continued. Have some tea and a rugalach. It's a cinnamon cookie. And I'm sorry about the lighting. I leave it dim to keep my presence up here a secret. I have the feeling it is not encouraged. As Percy sat, she asked, So I was wondering, was the treehouse you had as a kid the one that inspired your website? You'd think so, but no. My childhood treehouse was the one that inspired me to propose to my wife in a different treehouse. And the success I experienced there is what inspired my website. Percy took a bite of a cookie. Wow, these are, these are really good. Yes, my friend sent them to me. She has mastered the rogalach. Once one makes 1,000 or more of a particular cookie, it takes on a sense of perpetuity, and perpetuity, it turns out, is delicious. Have some tea, caffeine-free, so as not to disturb your sleep. Yes, thanks, Percy said while she accepted the steaming cup. How was your weekend? He'd turned away to fix himself a fresh cup. Percy brushed crumbs from her mouth before responding. It was good. I had dinner with a friend to celebrate his birthday, homework, time with my dad. Your mom? No, she's not here anymore. Oh, shame. I'm sorry to hear. She was sick, but never told us. It was a complete surprise when she died, but she'd known all along it was coming. Percy was shocked she'd spoken that sentence. She hardly talked with Kirby about her mom, and Adam was a complete stranger. Recent? Recent? 
Two years. You're angry at her? For my dad's sake, no, but in reality, yes. Very yes. Ah. Percy was compelled to change the subject. She asked in a falsely chipper voice, Well, how was your weekend? Oh, well, weekends here are the same as every other day. In this place, there are no weekdays or weekends, just 48 hours during which the average age drops steeply. Young visitors with their toddlers running about. Then, come Sunday evening, it's thoroughly old again and quiet. I found this place on Sunday morning. How did you find it? I suppose I gravitate up. I anti-gravitate. Like a nimble squirrel? Precisely. Adam smiled, raising his teacup to Percy. Any resemblance to your childhood treehouse? Well, this one's higher, but the walls take all the scary away, which is counterproductive for my purposes. Although, if I had a telescope, I might be able to see Fort Knox from here. Isn't Fort Knox in Tennessee? Kentucky, but also less than a mile from here. That's what I named my first treehouse. My dad built it for me, and he gave me a small gold coin to hide inside. And it's probably still there. As far as I know, no one ever moved into our house after we left. It's that close? Right down the road. So when do you plan to visit? No, no. It's one of those things where the memory is so good that if I went back, I'd risk ruining it all. And besides, the property has been abandoned since I lived there. It would be overgrown, rotten, wind-worn. It would be very depressing. But you're so close. Yes, and that's exactly why I'm here, which is close enough. I thought being in proximity to my memories would make them less fleeting. After all, they're all I have. After a pause, he chuckled. Oh, how dramatic. I don't, I don't really mean that, of course. But Percy wasn't fooled. For a moment, she'd felt the room fill with a plea for more than memories. She'd recognized the tone of that prayer. The wish for something real and true. Something you could hold in your hand. Percy stared into her tea, but watched Adam from the corner of her eye. He looked smaller in her periphery. After a few seconds of silence, Adam said her name slowly. Percy. Yeah? What does Percy stand for? Persephone. You don't say. Goddess of innocence and queen of the underworld. She's one of my favorites indeed. A well-tempered infant, brilliantly beautiful girl, then wise and willful woman. She met what could be seen as a tragedy, but made the best of it. Made the underworld a welcoming place for those who visited her there. Yeah, Dad is also a fan. Well, I have never met a Persephone before and feel lucky to have done so now. Percy noticed that his voice sounded different. While before it had been like loose filaments of wool, it had become steadier, as if spun into a strong yarn destined to become a thick, cozy sweater. Percy said self-consciously, I sure didn't have anything to do with my name. No, you could have been named anything, of course. But from what I know about you at this early date... You seem to have embodied this one. Adam took a sip of tea. You have made this underworld a happier place for me already, Persephone. But I don't want to spoil your school night. You likely need to get home. I'll look forward to seeing you again. Maybe when you work next. I'm here Tuesday and Thursday evenings and Saturday mornings. And your sentence ends? In three weeks. Ah, good. I'm sorry you're so miserable, but it will be nice to have you around for a little while. Thanks, Percy said distractedly. The light of the setting sun that had filled the widow's peak seemed to have saturated all of Adam's wrinkles. 
If she didn't look at him directly, his face, neck, and hands could have looked smooth and flush with color. But his eyes were the same. His blue eyes had always been that bright and clear. Adam was a very handsome man who, in his prime, had definitely been a heartbreaker. Would you like to leave the way you came, or take the easier way down the regular staircase? His voice sounded even deeper now, sonorous and anchored. I'll go back down the ladder, unless... Do you need help carrying things? Oh, no, no. I leave it all here. This place is my, rather, our secret. Well, thanks for the tea and these cookies. Tell your friend they are really good. You're welcome, Percy. Until next time. As she lifted the trapdoor and shimmied down the ladder, she felt flushed windswept and slightly giddy. She reasoned that it was the tea. There could have been some caffeine in it, after all. Or maybe she'd gotten a rush from the sugar and the cookies. The cool evening air cleared the smell of air freshener from her system. Halfway to the parking lot, she remembered her car wasn't there. Her dad had dropped her off that morning. How lucky that he'd taken the car for an oil change on the very day she needed a long walk. Backlit by the last hint of sunlight and set in motion by a light breeze, the branches that lined the park looked like the arms of a conductor. As she strolled among them, the trees tossed leaves at her feet like notes and rustled lyrics that she couldn't quite understand. It seemed the music would be clearer if she were higher, so she climbed. The tree she chose had a low sweeping branch that begged to be scrambled upon. The next branch was easy to access via a notch in the bark and the next rose like the upsweeping stroke of a capital K. Soon she was far above ground and surrounded by hypnotic susurration. Looming on her right was the solid brick wall of an apartment building. A single centered window at the top shone with yellow light exactly below the slight crescent moon. As Adam had said, height engendered fresh perception. From up there, she could see possibilities that would be destroyed by one false move one crashing fall. But while she was still and held on, everything was an option and remained in her reach. Even Adam was an option. From up there, the swirly feelings she had when she thought about him could make a traditional sort of sense. From up there, any view could be true. Thursday, September 10th. That Thursday, nine shifts and counting, Percy played a game. She purposely avoided looking directly at the entrance of the dining room, testing to see if she could recognize Adam's long stride in her peripheral vision. An hour before it was time for her to go home, he still hadn't arrived. Denise called her over. Hey, Percy, I need a favor. I know this isn't part of your job, but my evening delivery gal just called in sick. Number 409 had a hip replacement and wants her meals in her room. Can you bring up her dinner and tomorrow's lunch? When Percy nodded, she continued, The cart's all prepped. It's just inside the kitchen. Her front door will be unlocked, but knock first anyway. Just put the hot tray on her kitchen table and the lunch stuff in her fridge. She's got a scooter thing, so she's fine to get around. Don't touch her. Liability galore if you touch her and she falls or something. If she says she needs help, call a nurse. Got it? Percy pushed the cart into the elevator and pressed the button for number four. 
going into a resident's apartment was the last thing she wanted to do. But for Denise, she made an exception. She anticipated the cloying scent of glade, dust-scented plastic flowers and stale body odor, the kind that sets deep in the skin after years of cursory mobility-restricted bathing, the kind of smell that develops strength, that assumes a personality and makes snooty comments behind your back. Percy confirmed 409 on her slip and on the door's insignia, then took a deep breath. Just before she knocked, she realized where she was, the top floor, in just about the center of the building. The second door to her right was blank and had no deadbolt. Leaving the cart where it was, she darted over and slowly turned the knob. A quick peek inside revealed a stairwell with rough metal stairs. Down the stairs, she could see a heavy service door, which could have led to the elevators or something else technical, like circuit breakers or plumbing. One flight up was another blank door. That had to be the entrance Adam used to get to their secret tea room. Percy nearly skipped back over to 409, knocked, and opened the door. Hello, Mrs. Barker. I'm here with your meals. Percy heard the whir of a motorized scooter before Mrs. Barker turned the corner. Oh, come in, Tracy. Come in. Oh, you're not Tracy. No, Tracy called in sick. I'm Percy. Oh, Tracy's probably not sick. It's probably one of her kids. Poor girl. What was your name? Percy. Percy, yes. Come on in, Percy. Call me Betty. Percy was surprised by Betty's apartment. There were no plastic flowers, and the sunlight was not made dim by gauzy curtains or shrouds of floating dust. And the scent was... nothing. There was no scent at all. The space was neutral, even bordering on refreshing. One wall was completely covered with shelves, which were overflowing with books. Serious stuff, like biographies, history, and philosophy. And another wall was completely covered by photos, from babies and teenagers to adults and folks Betty's age. Your family? Percy asked, pointing to the wall of photos. Oh, sure, both by blood and by choice. Most I don't talk to very often. Maybe we've grown apart, or they've passed away, or haven't learned to speak yet, but that doesn't matter. They've all nudged me in their own ways to keep me going on the right path, or to find a better one. I like to keep their memories blazing on my wall. That sounds important, Percy replied, practicing a technique her dad used when he didn't know what else to say. Oh, yes, it is. Especially in this time of life. You have a lot of the same books my dad has. And what does he do with them? He's a psychiatrist. Ah, uh, another one. You too? Yes. Did you like it? Betty nodded with crunched eyebrows and tight lips. Was a double-edged sword. It's an honor to peek into people's souls like that and be trusted to help take away some pain or bring clarity. You see them at their most vulnerable and you do your best to help, but then you start to wonder. You must fight tooth and nail against this growing idea that the entire human population is like your patients, teetering on an edge. You know, it takes intense dedication to stay behind the line that separates you from them, your life from theirs, their wounds and their fear, their delusions. For you to be able to operate in both worlds, the so-called normal, your friends and family, and the so-called broken, you must create a wall in your mind. But that wall will crumble because it's true, there is no normal. Your wall will crumble, and you will join them over there. Ask your dad about that. Percy's eyes widened as Betty continued. And when that wall comes down, that artificial separation between the crazy and the not, 
you see that every individual is surrounded by their own wall. Impenetrable, made of the least flimsy stuff. Everyone is utterly alone and misunderstood inside that wall, including you. Oh, um, but your wall of photos... You're a sharp one, my dear, I can tell. Do you have a wall of photos? No, I... Well, it doesn't have to be a literal wall. You're young yet, and that's the best time to find your place in this world along with the anchors that can keep you there. Not that your place can't ever change, or you can't change, because you surely will. Your thick wall moves with you, stays around you. You make the sound in there, you project the images onto it. It's all your perspective, and you can't lose that. Though, that can change too, of course. If you ever lose your perspective, all is lost. The main thing is, you want it to always be yours, no one else's. You must always own your own truth. That should never change. Something in her frenzied monologue had a familiar ring, but Percy couldn't put her finger on it. Well, Betty, I have to get back to the dining room. I hope you can make it down there soon. Oh, no, kid. I won't go down there. I stay up here. Thanks for the grub. Percy rolled the cart back down the hallway, shaking her head. Whatever the hell that was, she figured it was a fair price to pay for finding the other door to the Widow's Peak. Just before the ding to indicate lobby level, she remembered where she'd heard Betty's concluding words of wisdom. It was the message in the fortune cookie she got at her hero's dinner after the frog shank redemption. It said, yours is the truth that you own and it is not for sale. When she got back, Percy scanned the dining hall for Adam. He wasn't there. As she poured coffee and cleared dishes, she continued her sidelong survey of the front entrance. She thought if she ever had a wall of photos, her dad would be on it, of course, as well as her mom and Kirby. And Adam, his face would definitely be there too. She signed out and ducked past the mailboxes to the stairwell. She climbed to the fourth floor, past Betty's apartment, and discovered that blank door did indeed lead to the widow's peak. The dim room was empty except for their two chairs and the side table, which held a teacup and a book. She sat in Adam's chair and picked up his book. It was not the novel he'd been reading on Tuesday night. A quick flip revealed it to be a journal. She shut it and held it loosely in her hands while grappling with the classic question, to read or not to read. Looking at the first couple pages seemed to be an acceptable compromise. After peeking over her shoulder to be sure he hadn't walked in, she turned to page one. Oh, to go home. To feel the old breeze, which has surely swung in circles on pause, awaiting my return. And to see the same trees, taller but still pulsing, having stored up the exuberance of my youth. And to be warmed by the same sun, which is right now dappling the same leaves, flowers, and shingles of the same family home. It's where my youth is held on pause. Going home seems to be the only way back in. Though timelessness is a cosmic certainty, here I am, stuck in time. How did I get here, in this body? Whatever it is that is me, feels both wholly unfamiliar and the only way I've ever been. But when I concentrate beyond the me, this body, I sense a space much more expansive, elemental, pure, which is what has only ever been and will always ever be. 
I am a discreet pinprick in that vast space, timeless being held tight by time. If this is where I must be, I want to be here at home, the home of my youth, home to the memory of what it is that I can be and what I once was, still surely am somehow. It seems the door to that place where time cannot follow is there, at my 147 Willow Reed Road. There, where I crossed the threshold from blissful baby to just aware child and was transformed by my first ascent to my treehouse, where I understood what gravity could do. There seemed a chance I could fly and that everything I felt and thought up there could still happen when again my feet felt soil. Immersed in the innocence of youth, I could deny all limitations, believe in more and spend time in moments that lasted forever. Can I do that again? Can I return to timelessness? Perhaps if I breathe the same air, hear the same rustling leaves, find warmth under that same sun. If I climb to my treehouse and gaze again at all that is possible, perhaps I can be young again. Perhaps I can be young again if I go back home. But for now, in this body and in this state, I can only allow myself to get this close. One mile away. One mere mile. But perhaps that's because I know deep down I can never go back. Percy heard a noise at the door Adam used. She slapped his journal shut, dropped it on the chair, and dashed out the other way. She waited outside the door, but no one entered. After she hopped out of the trap door, Percy noticed her eyes were wet and her heart was heavy. Adam was not an old man. He was just a kid whose body had grown old around him. Her game of attempting to recognize Adam from the corner of her eye had kicked off a feeling of expectation that stuck with her for the rest of the evening. As she walked to her car, she thought she saw him crouched behind bushes or clutching steering wheels. As she drove, she was sure he was leaning against a tree trunk, checking mail and jogging along the dark sidewalk. When she stopped in front of 147 Willow Reed Road, he disappeared. All she saw was a mailbox and a driveway barely discernible through weeds and high grasses. Her headlights flashed spastically as she bounced over hard mud and clumped roots. She saw him again on her way home. While doing her homework, she felt him in her closet. That vigilant anticipation extended into her dream world, where confused plans and missed encounters made her toss and turn. The next morning, she couldn't shake the feeling that she'd lost something she never knew she had. 